from the University of Texas at Austin, KUT Radio, this is In Black America. It focused me as to a person, um, as, as a person who believed in God, a person who um, seen a hard time as a child. Uh, my childhood wasn't the best in the world. My father was one who um, didn't mind pulling a cork um, and actually had a hard bringing up. And to see our team come together as one with the leadership of uh, our coach, it really made me dedicate myself to the sport of football and track and made me want to leave the city of Detroit and focus on my own career. And that's what I did. Deanna L. Hogan, cancer survivor, Michigan high school track record holder, college All-American, former special agent with the federal government, and author of Sometime Rain Will Show You the Light, a parable by a cancer survivor published by Zulon Press. Detroit has always been a bastion of exceptional athletic talent. It has a rich history in the sport of track and field. My high school track coach, Dr. John Telford, was an NCAA and NAAU All-American sprinter. Then there was Olympic gold medalist Eddie Tolan, Henry Carr, Lorenzo Wright, and Deanio Hogan. While attending Kettering High School, Hogan dominated two state championships in the late 1970s. In 1977, he won the 440-yard dash and was a member of the state championship 880 relay team. A year later, he captured state titles in the 100 and 200-yard dash. Those accomplishments earned him a scholarship to the University of Kansas. I'm Johnny O'Hanson, Jr., and welcome to another edition of In Black America. On this week's program, Sometime the Rain Will Show You the Light, a parable by a cancer survivor with Dion L. Hogan in Black America. I found that a nine-to-five job just bored me. <laughs> <laughs> it really did. So working with the U.S. government and um, participating in uh, various law enforcement search warrants and undercover work, it really kept my energy level high. And I found a very thrilling and rewarding work. And that's what I really enjoyed most about it. And the entity in which I worked in, we had so many different fields that you could uh, go into. Worked everything from gardening the U.S. presidents to working undercover, arson, buying drugs, becoming um, something that I never thought I would be, uh, such as a major drug player, a gang dealer, uh, uh, I should say player. Mm -hmm, <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, just doing all kinds of things that I wouldn't do in regular life. Right. Growing up in Detroit, Michigan in the 1960s and 70s had its challenges, and Deanna L. Hogan had to navigate those challenges. Sports and church kept him on the straight and narrow. As a fourth of five sibling, he was always the fastest kid in the Lower East Side Detroit neighborhood. At Kettering High School, he was a member of the football and track team, but Hogan really excelled in track. Winning first of three city championship meets, he set city records in the 400 meters. He then went on to set records in the state championship meet in the 400 meters and 880 relays. During his senior year, he won the 100 and 200 meter dash. Upon arriving on the campus of the University of Kansas on the track scholarship in his freshman year, 
He won four events in the Big 8 Conference Championship. He earned All-American six-time, All-Big 8 Conference 16 times, and set four school records and two world records. After graduating from Kansas, he went on to a distinguished career in law enforcement with the federal government. In his book, Sometime Rain Will Show You the Light, he shares the experience with cancer through a person named Pedro, who has many decisions to make. Recently in Black America spoke with Dion L. Hogan. To give our audience an inside look, Dion and myself are from the same city, Detroit, Michigan, and ironically, our high schools had the same colors. He went to Kettering, I went to Pershing. Dion, tell us what was life like growing up in the Motor City. Uh, it was very unique. Detroit is a special town. It has a special beat to it. You know, growing up there, you have uh, a um, privilege of um, being a uh, black person in pretty much a predominantly black area. I was not really exposed to uh, multiple cult- cultures until I went to college. Basically, <laughs> predominantly all black student population until I got to the University of Kansas where I walked into a um, study hall or a lecture hall where I was exposed to 400 students and it was like five of us uh, <laughs> sitting in there and I was like, oh my God. <laughs> we had white instructors, but that was about it. Talk about living on the east side in the Motor City. Uh, east side was um, unique in the fact that we, uh, my little city, my little town there, my little neighborhood mm-hmm. was um, Lower East Side. We um, it was close knit. We had a bunch of young men growing up together. We had um, some gangs in the neighborhood for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. At that time, we had a couple of. Um, well-known, nationally known gangs that uh, populated the area. And my high school decided that they wanted to make the gangs (coughs) neutral, our high school neutral. Mm -hmm. And we brought them into the area, and that didn't work very well. And we had a lot of um, unfortunate shootouts and some bad things did happen. But we did have some good things that come along out of that as well. Uh, Detroit Police Department decided to create what we call the gang task force to tackle that particular entities and at the time you may see the movie uh, White Boy Rick is out now he he was popular (laughs) during that time as well so we had a lot of uh, um, uh, well-known nationally known things to, to go on at that particular time when I was growing up so you're the fourth of five kids I am the fourth of five children correct Obviously, there was no downtime while you're at home. There was always something going on. Pretty much, um, <laughs> you know. My uh, family was um, uh, pretty busy. Uh, fortunately, my older siblings were on the way out as I was coming up, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. it was um, uh, pretty uh, fortunate for me. We grew up uh, five children in a two-bedroom home, one bathroom, mm-hmm. and uh, we made it work, you know. Right, um, right. Back then, you didn't have a choice. Um, we had no air conditioning, and we uh, <laughs> we, we survived, you know. Uh, my mother never worked. My father had a, um, a one job, and uh, we, we, we made it work, you know. What sports did you participate <clears throat> in prior to you? going to high school at Kettering? Actually, I didn't play anything. There was very little sports availability to us at the time 
It had um, maybe one or two track clubs. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Pee Wee football was very little. Uh, didn't have the access to it. We only had one family car, and mm-hmm. um, my father was using that for work, and accessibility was not there for us. So um, consequently, I didn't participate in sports until I got to high school. And what changed that all around? When I was deciding where I wanted to go to high school, I first chose a school outside of my neighborhood uh, called Finney High School, Mm -hmm, which mm -hmm. was predominantly a mixture of um, white and blacks because it was closer to the suburban area. Okay. And I went out there and got on that bus, and it was a heck of a ride. (laughs) And I had also qualified for um, another school, which was a higher learning place they call Cass Tech. Mm -hmm. And again, that was another half an hour, 45-minute ride from where I lived. And standing on that bus during the winter time, bus (laughs) bus stop in the city of Detroit, when you're talking about zero-degree weather, uh, and standing on that bus stop for an hour is not fun. So a friend of mine by the name of Larry Smith decided, you know, hey, I'm going to this local high school called Kettering. We got a heck of a track team, a heck of a football team. We can use you. Come mm-hmm, on up here. Mm-hmm. And he decided, uh, and I decided to go up there and try out, and, the, and that was history, man. It was a good decision on my part. Something tragic happened to Larry at football practice. Tell us about that day, if you can remember. Well, we were practicing football, and... Um, we were doing some tackling drills. Larry was uh, one of those kids that wasn't the, 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 the what you call the prima donna. Mm-hmm. He was one of those kids to try hard and one of those kind of, kind of guys to push everybody else on because of his work ethics. But he was tackled, and when he uh, fell back, an aneurysm burst in his head, mm-hmm. and he pretty much died right on the field. And it was a devastating blow to the whole team. And uh, we gathered around and, you know, we, 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 we um, came together. The first two games, we were so distraught that we uh, lost focus. Mm-hmm. And um, we lost the first two games. But then our coach pulled us together. And, I mean, it was like, it was like a made-for-two-week TV movie. Mm-hmm. And he left us in the locker room and we huddled together and we said, um, this is what we need to do. And we dedicated ourselves to Larry. And from that game on, we never lost another game. Um, we won the city championship, and uh, we named everything in, um, in Larry's name, and we became city champions. How did that experience change who you were and how you are today? Well, you know, it focused me as to a person um, as as a person who believed in God, a person who um, seen a hard time as a child. Um, my childhood wasn't the best in the world. My father was one who um, didn't mind pulling a cork um, and actually had a hard bringing up. And to see our team come together as one, with the leadership of uh, our coach, it really made me dedicate myself to the sport of football and track and made me want to leave the city of Detroit and focus on my own career. And that's what I did. When did you really start to excel in track? 
That was uh, the year that I said, okay, this is what I'm going to do. It was my freshman year. And it's what I decided to um, dedicate my career to Larry. And um, I excelled in the 400 meters and I won the city championship. That year in particular, I was, we, we tracked that. They failed the city millage. Mm-hmm. And the city track meet was canceled. Right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so we had a few dedicated coaches to put on various track meets. And then we went up to state and we won the 400 meters. Uh, I won the 400 meters. I had another guy by the name of Stan Edwards and uh, he won the long jump. We had a couple of other guys to come along and practice with us combined and ran the 800 meter relay and the four of us together won that 800 meter relays four guys without a track season became came fourth place in the state track meet um, which was outstanding four guys put together I won the 100 I mean the 400 mm-hmm. and the 880 relay Stan won the um Long jump, and we took fourth in the state state track meet. Mm-hmm. Why did you select the four hundred meters as your race? My coach did. I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> if you know the four hundred meters, that is yeah, a drooling, yeah, yeah. drooling it's a, it's, race. It's a four hundred meter sprint. That is what it is, <laughs> and it is a drooling race. Powerful. Um, there's an all-out sprint, and by the time you are through, you are hurting from head mm-hmm. to toe. And uh, he he wanted me to get in there to make me stronger for the hundred and two hundred meters, and. That's what I I did. So um, the next following year, I came back and I won um, the uh, city in the 400 meters. Came back and won the state in the 100 and the 200 meters. All right. Yeah. If you're just joining us, I'm John Leo Hansen Jr. and you're listening to In Black America. We're speaking with Dion L. Hogan, cancer survivor, Michigan High School record holder in the 400 meters and 800 meter relay college All-American, former special agent with the U.S. government, and author of Sometime Rain Will Show You the Light, a parable by a cancer survivor. Did Kansas come looking for you, or you went looking for Kansas? Oh, Kansas came looking for me. (laughs) (laughs) I was recruited very heavily in both football and track. I had over uh, 800 schools looking at me at track. Really? Uh, yeah. And okay. Excellent. And um, football, I had over 400 schools looking at me. I had two games, um, or three games, where I scored um, over three touchdowns and had over uh, 300 yards in what the game. Was, what was it like attending the college that Will Chamberlain attended? Uh, you know, you always heard about Wilk Chamberlain and um, Nolan Conwell and, of mm-hmm. course, the great Jim Ryan right. as they were uh, and always will be legends. You also had, um, what's his name? I can't think of his name right now. Gail Sayers. Right, exactly. The <laughs> Comet. Yes. The Kansas Comet. You have, you have a lot of great histories there at uh, Kansas University, and um, it was a pleasure um, running there without a doubt. You alluded to, you know, attending Kansas. What kind of culture adjustments you had to make coming from a predominantly African-American city to Kansas, which is 
more or less Anglo in the middle of nowhere. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> that was a uh, culture shock within itself. Okay. Um, I met some Anglos who have never met black people in oh, person. Oh, really? Yes. Okay, okay. Uh, people who are um, farmers and um, they had never encountered black people before, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and um, it was unique in talking to them and their perception of black, and of course, how media has portrayed us, and mm-hmm. um, of course, they get the negative view on us, and um, television um, has made us, you know, the comedians and mm-hmm. what have you, but when you sit down and talk to them, they've realized that we're people too, and it um, it was enlightening, and of course we had uh, those who were prejudiced, right? And you're not going to ever get away from that. So exactly. it was it was it was uh, enlightening to me in the fact that I had to deal with my own beliefs and disbeliefs about white America, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Um, not being uh, associated with them uh, as well. So it was. A learning experience for myself. When you first arrived on campus, what was some of the first thing that that you had to adjust to? Dorm living. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Being that far away from home and having a, to share a, a room with someone that, that you, you didn't, didn't know. know. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and of course, it was a, a white male that um, ended up being very good friends mm-hmm. and. I end up joining the um, Phi Beta Sigma fraternity, mm-hmm. which uh, helped me along the way, along with the um, track um, program. It was an easy adjustment. Um, I'm the kind of person that can get along with most anybody, so it was um, it was a good, pleasant experience for the most part. Academic-wise, was it an adjustment or was it simply easy because you were prepared to do athletics and also be a student? That is one of the things that I have chosen as an adult to go back and help with uh, our innocent youth. Transitional education is one of my passions because I don't think that we are prepared to deal with both athletics as well as academics Mm -hmm, as we are mm -hmm. transitioning from high school to college. I took college prep courses in high school um, in inner city Kettering. And when I got to college, everything I learned was gone over in the first two weeks. Okay. Okay. (laughs) On on the field, the times that I ran in um, the state track meets, were times that we were practicing in in college. (laughs) So there's no way to wrap your head around that unless you are um, dealing with it in firsthand experience. So it's important that we learn how to deal with that. Was it different? I would assume it's a different training regimen from high school to college. Without a doubt. (laughs) Give give us an idea what a, a... Back in the day when you were running track at Kansas, what a typical track practice would be like. Oh, my God. When I was running track in high school, my state record was 47 seconds (laughs) flat in the 400 meters. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. When I was running track at the University of Kansas, 
we would run the 400 meters in practice at 48 seconds, then run up the stadium stairs to the very top, mm-hmm. back down in a total time of three minutes, rest for one minute, and do another set for a total of four sets without stopping. And that is a big difference. And the first time I attempted that, I couldn't do it. <laughs> it was a big transition. <laughs> what did it mean to you earning All-American honors at Kansas? Oh, that was an outstanding feat. Uh, you are dealing with world-class runners, mm-hmm. and you are uh, amongst the top of that heap, and mm-hmm. you are selected as an All-American, or you have proven yourself as All-American. You have to look at yourself as one of the best, and that is an honor uh, that you will never forget. You left Kansas, and then you went to work for the U.S. government, became a special agent. What was it about that particular occupation that attracted you? Well, after running track with the University of Kansas and participating in sports at such a high level of competition, I found that a nine-to-five job just bored me. (laughs) It really did. So working with the U.S. government and um, participating in uh, various law enforcement search warrants and undercover work, it really kept my energy level high. Mm -hmm. And I found it very thrilling and rewarding work. And that's what I really enjoyed most about it. And... And the um, entity in which I worked in, we had so many different fields that you could uh, go into. Uh, Worked everything from gardening the U.S. presidents to working undercover, arson, buying drugs, becoming um, something that I never thought I would be, uh, such as a major drug player, Mm. um, a gang dealer, uh, uh, I should say, uh, uh, player, mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, just doing all kinds of things that I wouldn't do in regular life. Right. <laughs> Any particular assignment that really touched you personally? Anytime that you're dealing with a child mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. you are um, entering a home where the living situation is substandard and you are taking that child out of that location mm-hmm. and that environment okay. and you're lifting that child up it it it, it affects you mm-hmm. and it, it it makes you feel like you've done something that um, actually corrected someone's life and helped someone during your time in service you contracted cancer once you contracted cancer you also wrote this book. Tell us about that process. Well, in the interim of um, being a federal agent, one of the things that you like to do is keep yourself in in condition. I was working out, and I hit my sternum with a dumbbell. Mm-hmm. And as I pursued medical intention for that um, spot that began to grow, I went through MRIs, CAT scans and x-rays, and what they found was that the spot that began to grow was actually a calcium deposit, but the lung 
the right side had a spot on it. Mm-hmm. And more testing revealed that it was cancer. And had it not been for me working out, then I would not have found that spot. Cancer is, uh, lung cancer especially, doesn't have any symptoms until Mm -hmm. later on, like stage four when it has metastasized to other parts of your body. Mm -hmm. And you start to show signs of it through coughing or other pains that may start um, to show themselves. You wrote this book, and I, the analogy, we want people to go out and, and, and purchase the book, but how did you come up with the parable, the correlation between yourself and, and Pedro and the other characters in the book? <laughs> <laughs> One of the things that you, you can talk about and um, parables is you, you can say to a person that cancer has affected me in such a way that I, I really can't explain it. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. in a parable, you, you you tell a story as to what I have gone through with this disease, what this disease have done to me, what this disease has done to people around me, mm-hmm. and how it has affected um, not only my body, but my mind as well. You can cut cancer out, and you can radiate it, use chemo, but when you get down to it, you have to deal with the psychic. Now you have to deal with the new normal you. Mm -hmm. Things that you cannot do any longer, you now have to come to grips with. That is what motivated me to write this book in a parable form. Lessons learned thus far? Lesson learned thus far is take time Believe in God, enjoy life. It's not all about going out there, working yourself to a place where you cannot uh, enjoy your children, your life, and pay homage to God Almighty. What do you want readers to really come away with once they read the book? Don't hold things in. Mm-hmm. Be able, humble to talk about your feelings. Have conversations about what's going on inside you. If you don't talk to your significant other, God, or a therapist, find something that you can relate to outside of yourself. You're not running track. You're not running around protecting presidents. So what are you doing now with your life? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I have um, a landscaping business. I, um, of course, uh, promoting my book. Also, I um, have my grandchildren that I spend time with Mm -hmm. and my daughter that I enjoy a great deal. And I'm just sitting back, relaxing, and cooling out. Any final comments, Dion? No, just come out and and, and purchase the book. And uh, if you see me around, just say hello. Dion L. Hogan, cancer survivor, Michigan high school track record holder, college All-American, former special agent with the federal government, and author of Sometime Rain Will Show You the Light, a parable by a cancer survivor. If you have questions, comments, or suggestions as your future in Black America programs, Email us at nblackamerica at kut.org. 
Also, let us know what radio station you heard is over. Remember to like us on Facebook and to follow us on Twitter. The views and opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of this station or of the University of Texas at Austin. You can hear previous programs online at KUT.org. Until we have the opportunity again for technical producer David Alvarez, I'm John L. Hansen, Jr. Thank you for joining us today. Please join us again next week. CD copies of this program are available and may be purchased by writing In Black America CDs, KUT Radio, 300 West Dean Keaton Boulevard, Austin, Texas, 78712. That's In Black America CDs, KUT Radio, 300 West Dean Keaton Boulevard, Austin, Texas, 78712. This has been a production of KUT Radio.